Listen, I'm excited. We've been in, in, in a really, really cool series on rediscovering Jesus, which is a, a, an essential, an absolutely essential and powerful series. And I want to look, I just want to, I just want to simply give my yes to this series before I jump into Jesus, the high priest. And, and one of the things I love about this, and we've been doing it, is the importance uh, as being the body of Christ, that we learn to see Jesus through all the various titles and roles and functions, right? I don't want to just know the Jesus that's convenient to my life. I don't want to just be fixated on Jesus, the, the one that adopts us, or, you know. Or I don't want to just, I, I want the full counsel of God, right? I love Paul's prayer in uh, Ephesians 1 that we would be filled with this spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? In the knowledge of Him. And this is what I believe the Lord is doing in this hour. Even in the midst of this um, of series. I remember a few weeks ago when, when uh, uh, I, I, I think it was a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave asked me to come up and, and just kind of stir it up in prayer. And I, and I said, Lord, what are you saying to us right now? And I heard clear as day, the Lord began to say, see me, see me. And this has been this plumb line word for me in the past few months, even before quarantine, where, where the Lord really began to challenge me with the idea that it's easy, especially for those of us in ministry, we get so busy and we get so caught up in talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus, doing all these things that we become experts at knowing about Jesus, but not actually knowing Jesus. And I believe this, this series that we're in, it's so prophetic, and it's such, it's such an indication of where the Lord has us right now. God wants us to see Him again, and to know Him again, and to encounter. And not just the parts of Him that we like. Listen, there are things about Jesus that absolutely offend me. Absolutely offend me. Right? I, I'll be honest, I don't necessarily like forgiving my enemies. Or when somebody like cuts you off in traffic, and, 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 or like especially driving in Philadelphia. Like the line hasn't even turned green yet. I mean, the people in like Center City have such a gift of prophecy. They know when the light is going to turn green right before it does. And it hasn't even turned, and they're already honking at you to stop moving. And you got to bless them and pray for them and love them. It's not my favorite, right? But anyways, I, I, love, I just love this series. And I just, just a quick verse, and then we'll jump into this. You know, one of, one of my all-time favorite books of the Bible is, is, is the book of Revelation, where we get such an amazing uh, uh, heart uh, view of the heart of the Father into what is His goal during the end times. What is the whole thing about? And it's Revelation 1.1, right? That the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what, this whole thing, this, all of human history is coming to this moment, this crux of history, or the climax of human history is when the Father is going to fully reveal the glory, the beauty, the person of His Son to all of the nations, right? He is going to fully manifest who His Son is. But here's the beautiful thing. I don't have to wait to the age to come to get the full counsel of God. I don't have to wait to the age to come to find out who He is. We have the opportunity right now to go deep in the Bible, to go deep in prayer, to, to, to go deep in, in these different elements of seeking the Lord and to find out 
who Jesus is, right? I love what Dave was praying earlier, what he thinks, what he feels. I don't want to just know him the same way I know about history or poetry. I want to know the man Jesus. I want to see the fire in his eyes. I want to know what hair like wool and feet like bronze. What is jasper stone and sardius stone and an emerald rainbow around the throne? What is it? What is voice like many waters? I want to encounter this man and to be transformed into his image. So I, I know Dave prayed, but I, I really just want to pray again uh, as we're going to get into this. And this is a pretty dense subject talking about Jesus, the high priest, the priesthood of Jesus. But my, my desire is that we would be encountered this morning in the person of Jesus and be transformed because here's, here's the key. Most of these things that we're learning about Jesus, I love how John says in Revelation 1, that Jesus is the faithful witness, right? The firstborn of there, the ruler among the kings of the earth. But he's not just a faithful witness of the Father. He's the faithful witness of man. When we see Jesus as a man, we actually catch a revelation of what God desires out of us. When Jesus is walking around healing the sick, that's a picture of what the Lord wants us to be doing. When we see Jesus, the intercessor, it's a picture of the sort of prayer life that the Lord wants us to have. And so I, I want to pray this morning, Father, my desire is that we wouldn't leave this morning with just information. God, don't let us just settle at a bunch of little one-liners and nuggets. We want to encounter your son. This is my prayer this morning. For the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, that there would even be this morning a great unveiling before the eyes of our hearts. That we would see this man, this beautiful, glorious man, the obsession of heaven. Lord, show us who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at a few verses here that's really going to set the tone for the entire message this morning. Uh, random little, little fact about me. My, I would say my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Hebrews. I, I absolutely love the book. It's, it's probably the book with the most rich Christology in, in the whole Bible, in my opinion. I, I love it. The author's unknown, but Dave and I have our theories, our late night talks, while sanding spackle. Let's look at this Hebrews chapter 4. Beautiful verse. Seeing then that we, that's you and I, we have a great high priest, uh, excuse me, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I love verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, right, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I want to use this verse as a plumb line, and we're going to jump into this, but let me paraphrase it. Sometimes we read some of these verses, especially in the book of Hebrews, and like two or three little verses, it's like it just melts your brain. Uh, uh, and essentially what he's saying is this, is that we have a great high priest who has give, who has paved the way. And I love this. I was actually meditating on this during worship. And then Dave got into this. You know that Jesus, in many ways, is our pioneer into the throne room of God. 
This is, this is mind-blowing. Jesus is our pioneer into the holy of holies in heaven. And what uh, the writer here is saying is that Jesus has opened up the door. He's given us access to be where he is so that we can do what he does. And this is essentially going to be the premise of, of what I want to establish this morning where we're talking about not only Jesus, the high priest, but again, the priesthood of Jesus. And we're going to look at this a little bit later, that in order to be a high priest, there has to be a priesthood. In order for there to be a priesthood, there has to be a people to be priests. And this is what we're talking about. But I want to set this plumb line this morning. I, I want you to get this. Jesus has paved the way for you to have access to the throne room, to have, for us to have access to stand before the Father. And here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't, it's not limited to just being in church, right? It's not limited to Sunday morning when Mario or Jess are leading worship. We have the ability at any moment of any day, at any time of the day, any time of the year, we get to have access to the Father. And not just any access. Again, we're going to look at this in a second. But we actually have Jesus' access to the Father. Just let that sink in this morning. That same audience that Jesus has to the Father, that same level of proximity, that same nearness that Jesus has, we have. And so this is what we're going to jump into. Now, what I want to do a little bit is, is set a foundation to help us understand what is a priest, what is the priesthood, right? So before we can talk about the priesthood of Jesus, and before we can talk about Jesus being a high priest, we got to understand what the heck is a priest. And no, I am not talking about the guy you go confess your sin to on Easter or when someone dies or whatever it is, right? We're talking about something a little bit uh, different than that. Now, in the Older Covenant, the priests were strictly those who came from the tribe or the lineage of Levi. One of the other names that we give priests is Levites. And I love this uh, because the, to be a priest wasn't just a title. It's a lot more than simply a title or role or function. To be a priest actually meant identity. That priesthood isn't just a responsibility. I want to say this like this. Priesthood isn't just a responsibility. It isn't just a title. It actually a, was a part of the very identity of the Levites, right? It's like to, to, be, a, to be a Levite... To be from the tribe of Levi, your identity is connected to being a priest. This is who you are. This is, it's in your family DNA. Now there's a reason why I'm emphasizing this, because I'm going to reconnect to this here at the, at the end of the message today. But this is, what, so we're talking about identity. Number two, unlike the rest of Israel, the Levites have no land inheritance. This is significant. There's no land inheritance for the Levites. Everybody gets their inheritance. You know, Dan and Gad and Naphtali and Manasseh and Judah and so forth and so on. But the Levites are different. The Lord says something amazing about them. He says, you're not going to get land inheritance like everyone else. You're not going to get the same portion. I am your portion. This is what it means to be a priest. I love it. He actually, not only that, he says, the sacrifice of fire, my presence, your ability to live near to me, this is your portion. This is your inheritance. So think about this. 
When God is establishing his, his kingdom, his government on the earth, the nation of Israel, and he's giving us a picture of, of what he's looking after, he separates from among the tribes of Israel a group of people that are to be unlike any other group of people on the earth, unlike any other group of people in Israel. So this is what it means to be a priest. It means you're different. You don't have the same schedule as others. You don't have the same lifestyle of others. You don't even have the same responsibilities. And you don't get the same inheritances. You don't get the same portion. The Lord says, my presence, my nearness, that is going to be your portion. This is going to be your reward. This is going to be your inheritance. And the third thing, I love this. Uh, uh, Most people know this. They're the first people to be in full-time ministry. The priests, uh, unlike, uh, unlike the rest of Israel... Uh, they didn't have part-time jobs. They weren't, you know, they weren't part-time priests. There's only one kind of priest, full-time priest. Because, right, you're not a part-time son. You're not a part-time daughter. You're not a part-time husband. And you're not a part-time priest. Again, this, we're talking about identity. We're not just talking about a function. We're not talking about a job title. You don't go to a preschool, and after three years, you get, you get a priest degree, and then you go on a one-year priest internship and two priest missionships. No, no, you are a born a priest. This is a part of your eternal identity. If you're, if you're part of the tribe of Levi, this is who you are forever. And we're going to look at this and connect it to, 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 to our reality here in a second. But, but I, wa- I want to, to get that they're, they're in full-time ministry. And here's why I have this. Because this is one of the things people have sometimes. Well, I think people in, in, in full-time ministry, they should work part-time or they should do this. But I want to tell you something. That's that is a, a, an idea and an invention of man. But in God's idea, the priests are those who would give themselves full time to stewarding or giving themselves to the work of the tabernacle and to, that, to worship and prayer. Okay, let's keep going. So then, so you have this priesthood, the tribe of Levi, and, and they're doing all the work within the priesthood. You have the high priest. Okay. Now, the high priest is essentially the head of the priesthood. He's, he's in charge, if you will. Now, and, and I just say we're keeping this very basic, very simple, uh, to kind of just give us a little bit of backdrop into this. So within the priesthood, you have the high priest. Like I said, the high priest, he's the head of the priesthood. He's over the entire priesthood. And the high priest specifically comes from the, tri- uh, from the family lineage of Aaron. Right? Aaron had three sons, and uh, of the three sons, one was chosen to be the, the, the carrier of the seed of the lineage of high priest. All right? Now again, I want to emphasize this. We're still talking about family. Right? We're talking about inheritance. We're talking about destiny. That God would set aside a people whose eternal destiny, whose eternal identity was centered around living near to God. Imagine this. Imagine being, uh, I, I think of my nieces, like Dave's daughters, Eden and Naomi. Uh, seven and five, right? Seven and five. And Hannah. I'm both a little bit older, where they could comprehend it. That's why I'm using them. Yeah. Seven and five. And now Dave, who's a Levite, is beginning to explain to them, not only are you Israel, not only are you the chosen people, but you're the chosen within the chosen. Right? There's something about you. There's something about your identity. There's something about our family that's different than all the families of Israel, right? 
We're not, we're not like them. We don't get land portion like they do. We don't get uh, some of the different inheritances that they do. We don't necessarily go to work like they do. But we get something different than the rest of Israel. I mean, imagine being a little five-year-old, seven-year-old, and hearing this for the first time. And your father and your mother are beginning to explain to you that the Lord's presence, the Lord's nearness, that is our inheritance forever. You're different. You are on the earth for the nearness of God. You are here to live near to God, to stand before the Lord and to live a completely different lifestyle than all of your relatives, than all of your family. But I couldn't even imagine. And all the way from five or seven, all the way to 30, these young boys, we're talking about only boys uh, that did the priestly work, they're growing up, being poured into with this identity of being a priest, that they are on the earth to live near to God. Let me just put pause here for a second. What would happen if we actually began to raise our children telling them that? What would happen if at five years old, at four years old, seven years old, they begin to, they be, their brains are beginning to develop and they're beginning to, to shape their perspective of reality. You sit them aside and you say, our family is different than all of the families on the earth. We don't live like the other families. We're not after material inheritances. I'm not against materialism, but we're different. We're not after materialism. We're not after just a money inheritance. Our family is a little different. We, as a family, we've been set apart by the Lord. He is our portion. But what would happen if we would begin to tell our children, listen, you're different. You're not like the other kids. His presence is your portion. His presence is your reward. And His nearness is connected to your identity. I mean, could you imagine that? That you're not just the chosen. You're not, just, you're not just on the earth. You don't just have purpose. You have a calling for presence. You have a calling for nearness. Friends, it's the priesthood that's going to open up our eyes to the language that says, at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. His nearness is our good. You can't say something like that unless you've been at His right hand and you've stood near to Him. But let's keep going. Now, again, we're... we're, we're Really trying to keep this simple. I like to simplify the role of the function of the priest to two main things. I'm not saying these are the only things. I'm saying these are the two main functions or, or purposes of the priest. The first one is that the priest, and this is first not just because I wrote it in my notes first. It's first because this is the chief priority of the priest. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. This is the chief, the number one in significance. This is not just first in the way I wrote it. This is first in order. The primary function of the priest is to minister to God. Okay? And I love that. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell it to you. First Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. Samuel isn't just a prophet. He's a priest. He's actually a Levite. One of my favorite verses says that the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. Okay, and I want to tell you, I, I believe one of the one of the, the deficits that we're living uh, in today in the earth is that we have lost the art of ministering to God. I'm talking about when you could spend hours with the Lord and not ask Him for anything. 
Or you can spend hours with the Lord and you're not looking for God to fulfill your dreams. You're not looking for God to, to just take care of your needs, but you're coming before the Lord and you're saying, God, what's your dream? What are the things you pray? What are the things you're praying for? What are the things you're after? Or the same way that we would minister to a friend and speak life and begin to tell them who they are in Christ. God actually wants a people that will stand before him and begin to tell him who he is. We begin to offer up our perfume and our love. So again, so the first function, the primary function, the most important function is to minister to God. And number two is to minister to men, to minister to people or for people on behalf of people. Again, there's so many ways we can break this down, but I want to I keep it at these two things. The priest first, right? And it's, listen, it's the first two commandments. They minister to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And number two, they minister to two people, four people, on behalf of people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I wrote this down, and, and, I, and I think it's a beautiful picture of this. The purpose of the priest, in a sense, is to live in the gap or in the tension between God and man. All right, I'll say that again. The purpose, or one of the purpose of the priest, in a sense, is to live in that gap, to live in that tension between God and man. And you can take that a step further. The priest remind God of his promises to men by making intercession. And the priest remind man of their God by provoking them to draw near. All right, so I'll say that again, right? They're living in that tension. They're living in this, in this tension of this reality of living before Him, ministering to people. It's this back and forth reality, right? These are the ones that they, and we're going to look at this in a second, they, they live at the tabernacle, they live in that temple, right? And that temple on Mount Moriah is serving as this doorway between heaven and earth. It's this meeting place, right? Between God and man. And in that meeting place, in the temple... You have the priests, and they're living in that place. Well, God is looking for a people right now, friends, that will live in that tension of the meeting place between God and man. God is looking for a people that will live in that gap between heaven and earth, reminding God through prayer of His promises to men and reminding men to draw near to God because of who He is. And it's that gap, of, and it's right, it's, and I love Paul in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, talking about the mystery of the will of God, he says, is to fully unify heaven and earth in the man Jesus. Why? He says, right, to, 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 to take that which is heaven, that which is earth, and to summarize them or bring them together in Christ. And the reason in Christ, we're going to look at this in a second, is because he stands in the gap as the high priest. And only he is qualified as the priest of all priests to forever close the gap between heaven and earth, man and God, so that both would live together in unity forever. But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a people. They don't get land inheritance. They don't live the normal life. They live in the life of tension between heaven and earth. All right? Well, let's keep going here. The entire life of the priest was connected to the ministry of the temple or the tabernacle. So their whole life, it's connected to temple life, or before the temple, tabernacle life. Everything about them is connected to, to the dishes and the cups and the showbread, to the fire on the altar, to all these elements of the life of worship. 
that's going on in the temple or in the tabernacle. Let's jump over to uh, Numbers chapter 18. Numbers 18. Hopefully you're getting stirred up. Numbers chapter 18. So again, they're living in that tension between God and man, heaven and earth, by giving their lives to the ministry of the tabernacle or the temple. Right? They're living in this, in this tent lifestyle. I want to look at this. I want to, we're going to read 1 through 7. I'll kind of skip around a little bit. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. That's good, right? The Bible's awesome. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. And you and your sons shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. I love, I love it. It's perplexing that so often the Lord calls, relates the priesthood to a burden. And, and here's, the, here's the, 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 the point. And maybe this will ruffle a little bit of feathers. Friends, there is a price to pay to carry the presence. There is a price to pay to not only draw, I'm not just talking about drawing near, I'm talking about living near to God. See, this is where the priesthood's different. The rest of Israel is living within a culture of draw near to God a few times a year or when you mess up really bad and you need to go present a, a, a turtle dove so you don't get struck dead on the way home. Most of Israel, this is the, 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 the sort of cultural concept that they're living in. I draw near to God once a week on Sunday, and I come, and if I, do re, or if, I, if I was really rough and not really nice to my wife, I'll come to prayer on Wednesday, in today's vernacular. right? And mo, that's most people's concept, that God is the God that you visit. For a lot of people, that's their understanding of God within this context. We visit Him every so often. The priesthood is different. God says, you're not going to visit me. You're going to live with me. It's going to be a totally different dynamic. It's a totally different paradigm. My address on the earth is your address on the earth. My resting place is going to be your resting place. Right? I love it that the Lord talking about Jerusalem and talking about Mount Moriah. He says, I've written my name there. My name is written in that dirt. And the priests are those that have to carry on their turbans, that gold plaque that says holiness to the Lord, right? Like, I belong to him. I belong to the name. Because his address is my address. And I have to perpetually live with the burden, or really, the truth is, the inconvenience of hosting his presence. There's an inconvenience to hosting God's presence full-time, friends. And I'm going to tell you, the reason most of us don't have the presence of God is because we don't want to pay the price. We want... The benefit of his presence, but we don't want the price of covenant. The Lord, and I believe he's doing this, he is shaking this whole way of thinking. God does not desire a people that visit him. The only time you think about God is when you're asking him to cover your bills. Friends, I've got to tell you, uh, I have to sincerely doubt your relationship with the Lord. Let's keep going here. Verse 2, also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that, that they may be joined with you and serve you. So he's talking about the relationship between priests and high priests. Right? That they may serve with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. So the priesthood 
is to serve the high priest in the ministry of the tabernacle. I want you to take note of that. The priesthood or the priest, they're going to serve or support the high priest in the ministry of the tabernacle. Verse 3, they shall attend to your needs. So we're talking about, again, the dynamic. Again, because we're going to really connect this here in a little bit. They're to attend uh, uh, to the needs of the high priest. That's what the priest does. They tend to the needs of the high priest. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle. But they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary, the altar, etc., etc. Go down to verse 4. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you, right? Not just anybody's going to come near. Again, I, I want to highlight this. Not just anybody can come near. Not just anybody can draw close. This is a specific group of people from a specific family to come near you, right? You can't, in other words, if you don't have the identity of a priest, you can't live the lifestyle of a priest. Verse 5, And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary, and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Why? Because you're there to make intercession for the children of Israel. This is your purpose. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. To be a priestly people means you've got to be a selfless people. Right? If the only bills you're contending for are yours, you're not a priest. God's looking for people that will contend just as much for the bills of their neighbor than their bills. Are you going to attend? Right, right. So behold, I'm taking you your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. Look at this, verse 6. Behold, I myself, you're my gift to myself. You're my reward. In other words, I love the way Zeke says it, talking about the 144,000 in Revelation 14, but I'll connect it here to the, to, the, to the Levites in Numbers 18. It's this. The Levites were God, was God's tithe to himself from among the children of Israel. Come on. I don't want to just live like the 90. I want to live like God's tithe on the earth. I want to be God's portion. I want to be the portion that goes to the storehouse. Look at this. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So not only does the Lord say I've taken them for myself, speaking to the high priest. Remember, all these things are serving as a type and shadow of the greater things that are going to come. So he's looking at the high priest and he's saying, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to give you a gift. The gift is a people called a priesthood. They're going to be your gift. They're my gift and they're your gift. Right? To do what? To do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. What's that mean? To host the presence. They're different. They're, right? Like they're... Your gift to you to host the presence of God. Verse 7. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes there shall be put to death. In other words, listen. Anybody that comes that doesn't have the identity of priest, they're going to die because you can't get near to my presence unless you carry the identity, which means the burden of one who lives near. Friends, we, 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 we got to get over this idea that there's a cheap way to get to God. And honestly, I love what my, 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 my spiritual father growing up, Charlie Small, he uses a phrase, uh, greasy grace. We need to get delivered of greasy grace. 
We just do whatever because Jesus paid for it. Well, start living like he start living like he paid for something, right? Start living like Jesus actually died. So let's keep going. Kind of explain this here a little bit. So throughout the year, each day throughout the year, the priests are attending to the needs of the tabernacle, right? Leviticus six twelve. They're keeping the fire on the altar burning. They're offering sacrifices, worshiping the Lord through uh, under the order of David through various instruments and songs. And so this is. Uh, essentially, you could say that the main responsibility of the priesthood is to steward the spiritual climate of Israel. Let me say that again. The main responsibility of the priesthood is to steward the spiritual climate of Israel. And let's say it like this. The main responsibility of the priesthood of Bristol, or the priesthood of Philadelphia, is not to just tell Bristol what their spiritual climate is, but to set it. Come on. I love this. Rick gets into this a lot. We are either going to be a thermostat or a thermometer. Most people are only good at telling you what the temperature is. But God looks for people that live their lives in such a way. They're not just going to say what it's going to be. They're going to be the ones that actually set the spiritual temperature of a city, region, or nation. Well, let's keep going, and we're going to, again, we're, we're laying this foundation. Now, under the Levitical system, that's what we're talking about, the, the, the system of the Levites, of the Levitical priesthood, the high priest, has the, he had the responsibility once a year, he's going to go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies to offer up the, the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the scriptures but if you want to write it down to, to look at it for your own study, it's Leviticus 16, 1 through 19. You can take a look at that. So Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1 through 19, gives a detailed explanation of what the Day of Atonement or the Yom Kippur sacrifice looks like once a year. So I'll give you a little, a little picture into this reality. So within the tabernacle and the temple, there is the outer courts, the inner courts, and then there's the Holy of Holies. And uh, separating the inner court from the Holy of Holies is a veil. And on the other side of that veil is the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Right? It's the place where God sits, where His, his, his chabod, right? His, his, his manifest, weighty presence is living on the other side of the veil, and He's sitting on top of that, on top of that mercy seat. And only once a year, the high priest is allowed to go beyond the veil to put blood on the mercy seat. Uh, you know, that might sound incredible for us, but it's actually would have been a terrifying reality if you were alive in those days. You had to utterly, ridiculously prepare yourself for that 10 minutes on the other side of the veil. These guys would cleanse themselves, purify themselves. In fact, when we were in Israel last, talking to some of my, my rabbi friends, they were saying that the high priest actually would not even sleep the night before in case he had a wet dream or a perverted thought in the night. And thus, because here's what would happen. If they crossed that veil and they did not make themselves right before the Lord, they would drop dead at the presence of God. Don't you love our sweet little lamb? This is what would happen, literally. And so what they would do is that they would tie a rope around the waist of the priest that had bells, 
and the priest would have to come, not walking, he had to come dancing. He literally would have to move. And he would come in on the other side of the veil. And, the, and, and I love this. For those of you that don't like moving in church and you like standing like this, there's a biblical precedence. When the priest drew near, you couldn't, you couldn't stand still. You had to move before him because it was the proof that you were still living. Can I, can I offer the reason most of us don't want to worship or dance or lift our hands? It's probably because you're dead. Because the proof that you're living is that when you get near him, you can't stop moving. You've got to keep moving because it's the sign that there's life. So he would dance and he would keep moving. Because if, they, if, the be, if he stopped moving and the bell stopped ringing, it means that the Lord, he dropped dead before the Lord and they would drag his body out of the Holy of Holies. So this is the reality, and they're doing this to cover the sins that happened the year before. So this is the reality that Israel is living in for several thousand years. But here's the problem. Most of the church is still trying to live under this reality and this language. And I want to tell you something. If you are a believer, you are not a Levite. We say that. I'll say that again. I like that. If you are a believer, you are not a Levite. We, like, we love to use this language. We're all Levites. I don't want to be a Levite. I'm not satisfied with once a year access to God. And I'm not just satisfied with not only once a year access, I don't want to live in a culture where only one man gets to draw near the rest stay outside. Friends, to be honest, that's how most of us relate to God. Dave, you go near, you go to the other side of the veil, we'll wait here because we don't want to have to pay the price for nearness. We don't want to have to pay the price for presence. We don't want to have to pay the price for glory or beauty. You pay the price. We'll do, we'll do the other work. We'll make sure the lamp's nice and shiny. We'll make sure the, sh- the, the chairs are organized and the carpet's vacuumed. But you go and stand in front of God. Friends, I don't want the Levitical system. So here's what I want to talk about. There's actually more than one priesthood in the Bible. There's several of them. I'm only going to talk about two of them. So the first is the Levitical. The second is the, what I would call the priesthood of Jesus. And Jesus, while he's on the earth at the Last Supper, institutes a new priesthood. So let's get into this. The second priesthood that we're going to get into is the priesthood of Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Some of you are going to sit there in your pajama pants, eating your Cheerios, and you're going to be like, what are you talking about? Jesus does not establish a new priesthood. He reestablishes a priesthood. I'm going to get into this a little bit simply to whet your appetite. But the priesthood of Jesus, which is in the order of Melchizedek, we're going to get into this in a second, we're going to talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek, is not, it's not the second priesthood. It's actually the original priesthood from the beginning. From the beginning. Listen, priesthood is eternal. We're going to look at this in a second, but the priesthood of Jesus it's not a 2,000-year-old priesthood. It's an eternal priesthood. I love Dave started off at John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. We're not just talking about the beginning. We're actually right there. God is showing us the priesthood of Jesus in action right from the beginning. 
As Dave so brilliantly did, talking about the word logos. Friends, the word logos doesn't mean, as he said, written word. Right? In the beginning was the written word. 3,000 years before writing, the beginning was writing. No, he said, in the beginning was the divine reason. Or the divine conversation. In the beginning was a priestly conversation between the Father and the Son. And the, and the, 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 the byproduct of that priestly conversation between father and son is everything that you see and hear around you. Friends, the whole earth, the mountains of Colorado, going up and down the North and South Plate River, the hills all over America, right? The the crefts of the valleys, the Andes Mountains in South America are all an act of priestly conversation between the Father and the Son. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus is breaking bread and giving wine. There, He actually makes an end for the necessity of the Levitical priesthood And there, he reinstitutes his priesthood, which is in the order of Melchizedek. How does he do that? By instituting a new covenant. We're going to look at this. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Now, as we go to Hebrews 7, Melchizedek, his name comes from two Hebrew words put together, Melchi and Zadik, which means king of righteousness. Right, so it's the priesthood of righteousness. It's the priesthood of justice. Can I get just a little, little? can I step on a little bit of toes here for a second? If we're going to be a part of this priesthood and the priesthood of Jesus, that means that we have to be champions of justice on the earth. Racial justice, right? Justice for women or, or whoever it is. Listen, we, we can't call ourselves members of this priesthood and turn a blind eye to the injustices that are happening around us right now. So Jesus establishes a new priesthood in the order of Melchizedek at the Last Supper. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. Uh, Yeah, excuse me, verse 11. Not verse 19, verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Let me put a little bit of pause here. What is he referring to? Another priest arise in the order of Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, after what's known as the Battle of the Kings, Abraham is greeted by a man known as Melchizedek, priest, of the Most High God, King of Salem. Now, interesting enough, and I've actually heard Jews teach us, Melchizedek is the first person to refer to God as Most High God. Now, and I'm going to get into something else here. It's Some of you, you might catch it, you might not, but it's okay. Most Jews also teach that Melchizedek was a Gentile. Most Jews, I've heard many rabbis teach us, he's a Gentile king of Salem. So he's the king of righteousness, and he's the king of Salem, or king of Shalom, which means king of peace, which is old Jerusalem. So he's the king of Jerusalem, and he's the king of righteousness. His kingdom is established on Mount Moriah, the same place 
that Abraham's going to bind Isaac later on, the same place David is going to build the tabernacle, the same place Solomon's going to build the temple, the same place Jesus is going to rule and reign from in the age to come. So he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace because you can't have peace if you don't have righteousness and justice. And he comes to Abraham and he gives him bread and wine. And he teaches Abraham, thus teaching the Jewish people to call God the Most High God. And what does Abraham do? He's going to give Melchizedek a tithe of everything that he has. This is significant. Now why is Melchizedek going to give Abraham bread and wine? Because Melchizedek is validating God's covenant with Abraham, thus God's covenant with the Jewish people. But he's validating it because we have a biblical precedence here that in order for a covenant to be made valid, there's got to be bread and wine. He does it with Abraham. He does it on the Passover and he's going to do it at the Last Supper. Every time God's going to give bread and wine as the symbol of covenant. One of the functions of the priesthood is to administrate or to steward the realities of a covenant. I'll say that again. One of the purposes or the functions of a priesthood is to administer or to steward the realities of the covenant. So here you have, by the way, can I, can I go there for a second? You have a Gentile king, a Gentile priest, administrating God's covenant with Jewish people. From the beginning. And so he's going to bring bread and wine to Abraham. Now here's the significance. I'm not going to get into this too much. Most scholars believe that Melchizedek is a Christophany, or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So let's just say that's true. He comes in Genesis 14 as a Gentile king, but then he's going to come in Matthew 1 as a Jewish king, so here you have in this priesthood Jew and Gentile coming together as the one new man within the realities of this priesthood. This is about all the tribes and all the nations of the earth coming together as one, as the one family of God within the realities of this priesthood. Signifying this. That now it's not just one group of people that get to come near. I'm now inviting all of the nations to draw near. Now I'm inviting all of the nations to carry my name. So Jesus is coming and he's bringing back this Melchizedek priesthood. We're going to look at this in a second. Let's keep going. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed. We're back to uh, Hebrews 7. For the priesthood being changed... Of necessity, there is also a change of law. Because every priesthood pertains to a law, or better said, every priesthood pertains to a covenant. Melchizedek, to God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, uh, Levi, to God's covenant with Moses. And now the priesthood of Jesus to the new covenant. Verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man is officiated at the altar. Again, right? Only Levi, up until this point. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. He's the lion 
of the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. We're going to jump down to verse 18. For on the one hand, there's an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, right, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And then real quick, look at verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Because again, the priesthood, they're going to administrate or execute the realities of a covenant. So now Jesus is the high priest. He has established a new covenant on the earth, and which means what? Now he's going to raise up a new priesthood on the earth. Because go back to Numbers 18. God tells the high priest, I'm going to give you as a gift a priesthood. And the same way, if he, if he did it for Aaron, he, he'll do it for Jesus. And so Jesus is established as high priest at the Lord's Supper. And on the cross, he gives birth to the church. He gives birth to the body of Messiah that will become his priesthood on the earth. We look at two, real quick, some of the main differences of the priesthoods. Number one, the Levitical priesthood is operating in the tabernacle of Moses on an earthly tabernacle. Number two, the priesthood of Jesus is operating in the heavenly tabernacle. Real quick, I'll, I'll read this, Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. This is the main point of these things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary in the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, not man. In other words, the Levitical priesthood is restricted to an earthly reality. Jesus' priesthood is connected to a heavenly reality. In the Levitical priesthood, all the priests only have access to the outer courts and the inner courts, and only the high priest gets access to the Holy of Holies. We're going to look at this here in a second. In the priesthood of Jesus, everybody gets access to the Holy. There's only one. There's no outer court. There's no inner court. There's only the throne room. It's the Holy of Holies, and we all get access. Number, four, number three, uh, 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 and I said this earlier, who gets access? Only the high priest. Under the priesthood of Jesus, everybody gets access. And number four, I love this. Under the Levitical system, the sacrifice was animals. Under the priesthood of Jesus, the sacrifice is praise. Worship now takes the place of animal sacrifices. Under the priesthood of Jesus, I'll just read this verse to you, Hebrews 13, verse 15. He says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. So here's what, here's what, here's what, here's what this tells us. That in the same way that an animal had the ability to change God's mind about what he was about to do to the nation of Israel, a song now has the same ability to change God's mind about our cities, regions, and nations. That our worship is the same sacrifice. It's, it, it, our worship can, can make intercession. Our songs can change the destinies of cities, regions, and nations. Right? But here's the main thing I want to look at as we're kind of making our way to the end of the message. And it's this. That in that, Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We need to look at something significant that I mentioned earlier. 
Melchizedek wasn't just a priest, he was also a king. This is the, here's the crux of where we're going. He is, or was, a king priest. And so when Jesus establishes his, high, his priesthood and becomes the high priest of this new priesthood, he's not only high priest, he's king. Jesus is a king priest. Now here's, here's the part that I want to highlight here. Under the Levitical system, a king could not be priest. Do you hear what I'm saying? It was against the law for a king to be priest. If you were priest, you couldn't be king. And if you were king, you couldn't be priest. The two were separate. But in Jesus, king and priest become one. You, I, I want you to get this. He is king because he's high priest. And he's high priest because he's king. Right? He sits, we're going to look at this, at the right end of the Father on a throne not just as a king, but as a priest. Now here's what I want to make clear. Jesus is not a king with a prayer life. That's how most of us view this sometimes. He's a king and a priest. That means he's a king that prays. No, 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 no. He is a priest first that rules and reigns through his priestly ministry. I want to say that again. He's not just some king that's got a little devotional life. He prays an hour in the morning and then goes to his cabinet meeting. No, he's a priest. He's a high priest that rules and reigns through prayer and worship. He's, not on, he's unlike all the other kings of the earth. He's a king, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father in priestly robes. I don't have time to get into this, but this is why one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible of this as in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 15, when King David is getting ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, says that he takes off his kingly robes and he puts on a linen ephod. He dresses himself like a priest because he understands that kings, they get to rule and reign, but priesthood, the priests get access and nearness and fellowship. Psalm 2 tells us, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing? He's interceding for the nations as his inheritance. Now here's what's powerful about this. He's not praying, wondering if he's going to get them. He's not, oh God, I hope, I hope. No, no, no. He's sitting there, having been promised by the Father. I mean, it's a done deal. When you're Jesus... And the Father looks at you and says, I'm going to give you all the nations. You could sit back, relax, and binge watch Netflix for the rest of your life. But that's not what he does. Here's Jesus on a throne, on a throne, at the right hand of the Father, guaranteed every single promise, everything he desires he's going to get. And do you know what he's doing? And it's been the one thing he's been doing for 2,000 years. He's praying. He's praying. He's in intercession. Because he's not settling with the reality of just being king. He's pressing in and establishing the reality of priests. Because in Jesus, a whole new way of doing life has been established. 
We're not going to rule and reign by just taking elected positions. We now rule and reign by standing on the sea of glass before the throne of glory, offering up songs, hymns, spiritual songs, prayers and intercession. And from that place of nearness, from that place of intimacy, from that place of belovedness, we rule and reign over the nations. Now here's the deal. Here's what I want to get to. I promise you we're almost done. If Jesus is high priest, then that means that there has to be a priesthood. And for there to be a priesthood, there has to be a people to fulfill the role of priest. Go to this real quick, Revelation chapter 1. Talking about Jesus, right? We'll go to the, the uh, uh, start at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, washed us from our own sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. Most translations say kings and priests. It's actually a bad translation. The actual translation just say a kingdom of priests. He has made us a kingdom of priests who is God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. He's saying this, listen, Jesus, through his blood, and, and, and he's initiating it at the Last Supper, institutes a new governing body on the earth. He's instituted a whole new governing body, a whole new uh, uh, divine order of doing life, and it's called the priesthood. And it's the priesthood. We're not Levites anymore offering animals. We're in the order of Melchizedek offering songs and melodies. We could do with our guitar what they did with turtle doves and pigeons. My song is now the fire on the altar that should never go out. And he establishes a kingdom, a governing body, friends. And here's, but here's the key. It's a governing body of priests. In other words, if you want to rule and reign in Bristol, if you want to rule and reign in Philadelphia, if you want to rule and reign in the nations, you've got to live like a priest. That's the whole principle. You've got to live like a priest. What does that mean? You don't get authority if you first don't go after intimacy. This is the whole principle here. He's saying if you want to rule and reign and have power, then you've got to get in it close. If you want to rule and reign, you want to disciple nations, you want to be a part of seeing the kingdom of Jesus released on the earth, then you have to get close. You have to bear the burden, the, the, the weight, the inconvenience of living on the other side of the veil. Right? You've got to pay the price of living holy to stand before the Lord. That means, you know what, others may watch those movies, but I don't. Or do this or do that. We live a different sort of life so I can be near, so I can rule around I, I promise you, I'm almost done. Because here's the key. Here's, the, here's what I want to get into. The beauty of the priesthood of Jesus living in this reality is that now it's not only the high priest that gets access. That Jesus does it a little bit differently. He has actually given us access the same full-on access that he has. Real quick, let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 10. I promise you I'm almost done. Hebrews 10, verse 9. Excuse me, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. 
Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, or the, the holy of holies. We're talking about the throne room that John describes so beautifully in Revelation 4, a sea of glass mingled with fire, thunder, and lightning. Many, many voices, a myriad of angels, four living creatures, 24 elders. Since we have boldness, we don't enter terrified. There's no rope tied around you. You're not worried. You come with boldness because you show up with the revelation and the understanding that you actually belong there. We, we have this understanding that I'm not like the other families of the earth. I'm not like my neighbors. I'm not like everyone else. I'm a little bit different. I now have a portion. I might not have tons of money in the bank account, but I've got a portion on the sea of glass. I've got an inheritance before jasper and sardius stone and an emerald rainbow. I've got a place surrounded by lightning and thunder and many voices and seven golden lampstands and seven stars. I have a place before the full council of the Godhead. Why? We have boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus. Because He's not only King, He's not only priest, He's also the sacrifice. This is what's amazing. Jesus isn't only the high priest that enters in on the day of atonement offering the blood of the Lamb on the altar. He's the very Lamb whose blood He Himself is going to put on the altar. Think about this. Once a year the high priest is going to take a lamb and slit its throat going to drain out the blood and it's going to bring the blood to the mercy seat and sprinkle it on the altar. Jesus is both the lamb and the high priest. Now one little random tidbit. Every time in the Bible that God talks about man, he refers to him as flesh and blood. Except for the book of Hebrews refers to Jesus as flesh and bone. Now my, my pastor back in Texas said something so amazing. He says, you know why I think that, son? It's everywhere else. It's flesh and blood. But when he talks about Jesus in Hebrews, it's flesh and bone. He goes, you know why? And I go, why? Because his blood's on the mercy seat. He comes and he puts blood. And here's what happens. Right well, Now we have boldness, verse 20, to enter in by a new and living way. Which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us... Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. Friends, there's a beckoning from the Lord today to quit wasting time. There's a call from the Lord to quit living under the old system. To quit living with distance. To quit living without nearness, and there's an invitation to come near. And listen, I tell this to the students all the time. We need to not only quit wasting time, we need to quit wasting the blood. He didn't just shed his blood so you could not go to hell. He shed his blood so you could make history with God. He shed his blood to give you access now. He shed his blood to let you do what David prayed for in Psalm 27.4, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Jesus didn't just die and shed his blood to give you access. You could sit there and soak on the floor. You told me he died so you could soak and get fat spiritually and do nothing? No, he's given you access 
to sit at his right hand, to sit with them, excuse me, on his throne, like Paul says in Ephesians 2, right? We're seated with them. So we can do what? So we can do the priestly ministry. We can pray for what he's praying for and sing what he's saying and declare the decree like David in Psalm 2 and begin to contend for the dreams of God's heart. Listen, I love what Dave said about lifting our vision higher. I want to see what you see. You can't see what he sees if you're not living close enough. Friends, this is a call from the Lord, this understanding of priesthood that we get to step into this role of partnering with him now to contend to see Jesus receive the nation's inheritance. Let me say this real quick and we're going to Psalm 10, Psalm 110 to close. Listen, it's my choice. I get, let me say like this, I said better. I have the burden of responsibility as a priest in Philadelphia to offer up sacrifices of praise to make sure that this city, to make sure that Bristol becomes the inheritance of the Lamb. Why? Because I get to be among those that live on the other side of the veil. Real quick, go to Psalm 110. I want to end with this. The whole premise is this, if Jesus is high priest, then the Father has promised him a priesthood. If Jesus is high priest, then the Father has promised him a priesthood. I love one of the things David says. So we have a choice. We're either going to be those that live on the eastern side of the Jordan or we're going to cross over. But now there's a second choice. We're either going to live like the rest of Israel and say, you know what? I'd rather have a bank account than your presence. I'd rather have my dream house than your presence. I'd rather have a great name and titles and recognition than your presence. I'd rather binge watch Netflix and get near. See, for those of us, step one was, are you going to be willing to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. But friends, I believe today's step two is this. Are you going to be willing to cross beyond the veil and live on the other side of not just the Jordan, but on the other side of the veil? Are you going to bear the iniquity, bear the burden of presence or settle for just land inheritance? Look at this, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, in Hebrew, literally my Yahweh said to my Adonai, the Father, he looks at the Son and says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Look at this. Verse 3. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the great day of your power, they're going to show up not looking for titles. Not looking for platform, not looking for money, not looking for an easy life. They're going to show up and they're going to say, you don't owe us anything. There's a great generation that's going to rise up and say, you don't owe us money. You don't owe us recognition. You don't owe us comfort. You don't owe me a 401k. You don't even owe me a house. I'm here as a volunteer. I'm here because I love you. I'm here because at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And at your nearness is my good. I just want to be where you are. I'm not coming for a paycheck. I'm coming for presence. I'm not coming for a name. I'm coming for nearness. 
And he says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. And then it says, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Do you know what? We read that. We have all these songs about beauty of holiness. We have no clue what it means. The phrase, beauties of holiness, doesn't mean you're floating in outer space out there and everything now you have to only sing songs in Hebrew and and roll on the ground and jump through one galaxy to another. No, it means this. In the beauties, it says, it says in the beauties of, your people shall be volunteers in the day of power. In the beauties of holiness, it literally means in the garments of the priesthood. Let me read that differently. Let's read that differently. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, dressed in the garments of priesthood. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Why? Why, priest? Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. The Father looks at Jesus and says, I'm not changing my mind against about this. You are a priest forever, Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek. You're a king priest. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings. Who? The high priest is going to execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his head. He's coming with power. He's coming with glory. And he's conquering the nations. But he doesn't come dressed like a king. He comes dressed like a priest. And behind him is his priesthood. And it's a people that have the choice. They say, you know what? We could choose the robes of convenience. We could choose the robes of comfort. But we don't want the, this is, this is, they show up and say, we don't want the robes of convenience. We don't want the robes of comfort. We don't want the robes of success. We want the robes of the priesthood. Because here's why. I'll end with this. When the Lord is giving instruction on how to design the priestly garments in the Older Testament, he gives all the explanation of how they're to look and all the different uh, um, types of garments and fabrics, things that they're supposed to use. And he says, here's why. He says, I want their dress to be different because they, talking about the priesthood, they're made for beauty and glory. Their garments are to be a reminder that they weren't made for a plot of land in Naphtali. The garments are a reminder that they're not to be distracted with frivolous things. They're garments. It's a reminder that not only are you those that cross the other side of the Jordan, but you're going to cross the threshold into the holy place. The garments, they were, they, every time they got dressed, it was a reminder you're different. You're different. You've been, your, your calling was a reminder you were set apart for presence and for nearness. And in Psalm 110, when that great generation arises in the day of his power, dressed in the garments of the priesthood, they're making a statement and they're saying this, if you give us anything, give us beauty and give us glory. If you give us anything, give us your presence. And it's from this place, from this sort of culture that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. Come on, let's pray. Father, here we are this morning. 
Lord, we're, we're living in, in the midst of a, of a reality, Lord, that you made a promise to your son. You would give him the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. And Lord, you're not going to do that by just sprinkling, sprinkling Jesus dust all over the earth. You're going to raise up a people that aren't after titles, recognition, or bank accounts. They're after beauty and glory. They're after your presence. They're after your nearness. It's those that say, God, I want the burden of carrying the ark on my shoulders. I want the burden of presence and nearness. Lord, I ask right now that you would baptize. Come on, lay your hand on your heart. Lord, baptize our hearts with the fires of the priesthood. Baptize our hearts with that priestly fire. Just like Phineas, to whom you gave an eternal priesthood, because you said, Phineas was jealous with my jealousy. Lord, raise up a priestly people. I would say, God, I'm not satisfied with Sunday morning Christianity. I'm not satisfied with just stopping at salvation. God, let me be jealous with your jealousy. Let me feel your zeal that you have for your house. We want the garments of the priesthood. We want your nearness, your presence as our reward to see your throne established upon our praises. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.